Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Nancy Murdoch, and you are listening to episode number 16 of Slightly Askew with Nancy at Noon. In case you're new, I do this show to provide you with the information and the steps and strategies to help make your life happier, healthier, and more awesome. I specialize in helping women specifically pick up the pieces and start over after a breakup. There's a lot of healing that needs to take place at that time. And I've got the knowledge and experience to help women come back into their own power again. Today I'm shaking things up a little bit. I'm going to tell my daughters some stories. You may like them too. You might even find some value in them. So grab a warm drink, get comfy, and sit back and enjoy yourself. My girls love stories. I used to read to them for hours and hours when they were kids. I remember when the Harry Potter series came out, we, we used to cuddle on the love seat in our pajamas, and I read and read and read until my voice was hoarse. They would put their tiny little hands on my throat and do Reiki to me so that I would keep going. That was the fun part of homeschooling, my girls. We got to do what we wanted to do all day, every day. I allowed their inherent creativity to flow, and, and I encouraged them to study what they wanted to study. They stayed up late at night writing reports and stories because they were eager and curious about life and and history and, and everything, actually. Haley learned to read very early. I didn't even know she could read because she kept it a secret. She thought that if I knew she could read, I would stop reading to her. I guess she didn't know that I loved reading to them as much as they loved being read to. Whenever my girls were with their grandma, they always asked her to tell them stories of her childhood or any story she remembered. They used to ask me to tell them stories from my childhood as well. Our past never seems to be that exciting to us, but it truly is what great books and movies are made from. And because so many changes take place between each generation, it's kind of cool for our kids to know that there was a time when Internet didn't exist, computers took up an entire building and had to be kept air-conditioned at a, at a particular temperature in order for them to work properly, and portable phones were for privileged fictional characters like Maxwell Smart and James Bond. Times have changed in subtle ways and one giant leap for mankind type of ways. So today, my darling daughters, I'm going to tell you the story of how I met your dad. I went to a good high school in Michigan, Berkeley High. It was, it was a large school with lots of classes in arts and music. Even that is a change from what is offered in schools today. No music, no arts. We were only permitted to take two elective classes per semester, which was never enough for me. See how traditional public education stifles our growth at a very early age? I didn't want that for you girls. I wanted you to explore everything that interested you, like sampling from a smorgasbord of life. I always signed up for band class because I loved playing my flute. I practiced three to four hours a day during the week and sometimes more than 16 hours on the weekend. It used to drive your Aunt Bobby nuts. <laughs> what can I say? I love to play. I keep telling myself that when I get time, I'll pull out my flute again and pick up where I left off. That hasn't happened yet. Anyway, I signed up for band class because I wanted to enter the state music competition every year. If I wasn't in the band, I was not allowed to enter the festival. That in itself is not fair. But my musical adventures are stories for a different day. But speaking of adventures, I have an adventurous spirit, and I was bored in high school. It was a great school as far as force-fed, dummy-down education for the masses goes, 
but I was 17 and restless and hungry for adventure. I wanted to travel to cool places that I read about in my romance novels. I wanted to join the London Symphony Orchestra, the real one in England, not Canada. I wanted to be an exchange student in England, but I didn't know how to go about doing that, and my parents weren't travelers. In fact, I might not have ever even mentioned it to them. Who knows what secrets a young dreamer keeps to herself. I had lots of them. Dad was a grade school teacher, so later in his career, when he wasn't attending Wayne State University to complete his master's degree, or working at the rec center summers, weekends, and evenings, or painting houses, we came up to the cottage in Kincardine for the summers. Mom and Dad built the cottage back in, uh, I think it was about 1967, with the inheritance money she got from her parents. Since England and the London Symphony were not on my current agenda, I figured that finishing my grade 12 in Kincardine was the next best thing in regards to affordability and doability. So Mom helped me make the arrangements. That year was a total disaster. Certainly not the graduating year of my dreams, especially since when I walked up on stage to get my diploma, they didn't have one for me. It was like my year of hell didn't even exist for them. And I'm not even counting my broken arm, broken collarbone, and concussion. Nope, but I'm going to mention them anyway. It started late in the summer when I broke my arm at the outdoor roller rink. I was hired as the bouncer, a very highly esteemed position, I might add. I got paid two bucks an hour and got free skating. What a dream job. One night I was whipping around at top speed to the beat of Jim Croce and Bad Bad Leroy Brown or some such song. Then bam, down I went. Some kids had kicked some stones onto the concrete. They weren't being malicious. The roller rink floor was only about four inches off the ground and the, and the gravel parking lot butted up against it. The, the parking lot was the place everyone hung out to get hooked up or do their drug deals or just listen to the music blaring on the speakers. So of course some gravel was going to end up on the concrete floor. It wasn't the best way to end the summer and start my graduation year in a different school in a foreign country. I remember sitting on the beach with my mom the day she went back to Michigan for the season. It was a gorgeous day in, in late September. The lake was glass flat and blue as can be, and Maggie Mae was playing on my little portable radio. There has never been a time since when I hear Rod Stewart's raspy voice sing that song that it doesn't remind me of that day on the beach with Mom. School was a total letdown. All the friends I hung out with in the summer suddenly got clicky and didn't want to be seen with an American. Yeah, that was a real slap-in-the-face wake-up call for me. I found out who my true friends were. Kenny, Vicky, Janice, and Patsy, the four people who stuck by me regardless of my nationality. Kincardine was such an anti-American tourist town back then. They loved our money but hated us as a country. It wasn't even personal, yet they took it out on me personally. Anyway, Kenny and I used to go to the Naughty Pine restaurant for lunch each day. It was just a block away from the school, and both of us needed a midday escape. We actually needed an all-day, everyday escape, but we decided not to send red flags to the truant officer and opted for escape during lunch plus the maximum number of absentee days we were allowed, without failing or being expelled. Don't get me wrong, I love learning. I just hate the archaic educational system that forces us to ingest the information they, the government, want us to know. It's not the truth, it's not accurate, and it's not current. So, one day when I was eating my french fries and gravy, your dad walked into the restaurant. Kenny and your dad had been friends for a long time, so he waved him over to sit with us. 
I thought he was the most dreamy thing in the world. He had long, gorgeous, curly rock star hair, a torn jean jacket, and a great big smile. I was in love. Kenny introduced us, and your dad asked me where I came from. He was just making polite conversation, but the only answer I could think of was, my mother. But it sounded so stupid to say it out loud that I just burst out laughing. Uncontrollable laughter that brought tears to my eyes. My stomach hurt from laughing so hard, and I couldn't even finish my fries. Of course, they both thought I had gone instantly insane. I might have eventually gotten the words out. I don't, I don't remember. It, it wasn't like it was funny. Maybe I was nervous. I don't know. I remember reading about a town in Tanzania where a young girl started laughing in school, and suddenly everyone was laughing. The whole town was laughing. They laughed for months, some say even years. They called it the Tanganyika Laughing Epidemic of 1962. It was because the country was undergoing changes and the people had experienced the long buildup of inner disturbances, which I guess it stressed them to the extreme. Maybe I was stressed to the extreme, and laughing was my outlet. I don't know. At least it didn't turn into an epidemic in the restaurant. The Naughty Pine was like the roadhouse hangout restaurant for tradesmen and workers. You know, the kind of guys who got their hands dirty. Plumbers and electricians and construction workers. It was a place they met for coffee or lunch and did their man gossip thing. You know, where they talk about local politics and national politics and whatever else workmen talk about. Tim Hortons and cell phones didn't exist, so people actually used to sit around a table and have face-to-face discussions. Imagine that! Your dad might have sat with us in the restaurant on a couple other occasions. I don't quite remember, but I think he must have because he and his boss came there quite often. It was the guy place to be. Back then, your dad worked for Doug Lamont as an apprentice, learning to install carpets and vinyl floors in, in people's homes. He is the best flooring installer in the area, and people seek him out from miles around. Anyway, not long after meeting your dad, actually just a couple weeks into the semester, it was raining, and some kids were driving me home from school. They lost control of the car and crashed into a tree. Uh, They were fine, but I landed in the hospital with a broken collarbone and a concussion. I don't know why, but the hospital didn't really want me to be there. I didn't feel welcome probably because I was an American without insurance. Kenny came to visit me, and he said I kept asking for Lloyd, your dad, to come see me. I could never remember his name. I don't think I had ever heard the name Lloyd before, and I certainly had never heard of his last name before. For the life of me, I could never remember his name. But Kenny said I kept asking for him to come visit me. I don't know if he did or not. I guess you'd have to ask him that. I don't remember a whole lot after that. I vaguely remember Mom, maybe Mom and Dad, or maybe just Dad, coming to pick me up at the hospital. I don't remember if it was one or both of them. I'll have to ask them about that part. I guess just because I was awake didn't mean I was conscious. The doctor never reset my collarbone, so to this day you can still see where it's broken. I never received any help for the concussion either. It was a really crappy hospital. I don't remember seeing any doctors in Michigan either, but that doesn't mean I didn't. I never actually thought about how mom and dad were feeling when all this was taking place. I never looked at it from the point of being a mom. I'd spent some time at home, maybe a couple weeks, not really sure how long, 
That part is totally blank for me. I remember being given the choice to go back to Kincardine and finish my year there or go back to Berkeley High. I think I was urged to stay in Michigan, but I felt embarrassed to return to Berkeley High. It was such a, like, a, like I was a failure. It was such a big school, and nobody probably noticed I had been absent, and the school year had just started. It, it really wouldn't have mattered. They would have welcomed me back. They were, they were my friends, people I'd gone to school with since I was, I don't know, since kindergarten. They weren't anti-American. I can look back from where I am today and say that returning to Kincardine High School was probably the biggest mistake of my life. Why did I decide to return to a small country school where almost everyone judged me, including the teachers? They were the worst, way worse than the students. My English teacher threw things at me and intentionally tried to embarrass me in front of the whole class. He was constantly singling me out. He yelled at me one day because I said there were several ways of spelling Shakespeare. According to English orthography, there are 4,000 ways of spelling Shakespeare. Apparently, I didn't spell it the way he wanted it spelled. In good old Will's lifetime, his name was never spelled in a consistent way, and his handwritten signature is not consistent with the popular way it is spelled today. So really, if this were being tried in court, the judge would probably rule ambiguous. Mr. English teacher had some real issues with women who challenged his authority. The teachers used to talk about me in the staff room. I guess they had nothing better to talk about than why I wasn't wearing a bra. Duh! I had a cast and a sling on my left arm and was wearing a big old padded shoulder brace that I wasn't supposed to take off. It was a struggle just getting dressed and undressed. How in the world was I supposed to finagle getting a bra on and clipping it at the back? I couldn't even brush my own hair. I had to go to the hairdresser to have it washed. And those teachers had the balls to talk about me not wearing a bra? How dare they? How do I know? Many, many years later, when I was at a party for a friend, I met one of the teachers I thought was nice to me. It was the first thing he said. Yeah, we used to all gather in the staff room and talk about you not wearing a bra. And he laughed, as if it was funny and acceptable now that I was an adult. I remember my home ec teacher. She was supposed to be teaching us how to sew, but she had no idea how to sew. I had played bagpipes in the, in the summer marching band for several years, and the wife of the band leader invited me over for dinner one night, and she told me the home ec teacher was taking night classes to learn beginning sewing. How did she know? They were taking the same night class together. My mom taught me to sew when I was like 10 years old. I was designing and sewing all my own clothes when I was in my early teens. Jump to today? Why am I still here in this town? I had to put aside all my cultural values, all my creative endeavors, and my love of music to finish high school in a place that ridiculed me, shamed me, and judged me? What an idiot I was. I swore I'd never have my children go to that school. Another reason why I wanted to homeschool you girls right through high school. If you aren't a strong person, the people in that school can rip you to shreds and lead you to believe you're worthless. Anyway, the home ec teacher did not like me one bit because I was helping the girls learn how to sew. Because I knew how, and she didn't. They were frustrated. I was so shy back then, it's not like I made any grand announcements in class. They came to me for help. They saw that I knew what I was doing and quietly finished my projects without asking for help from the teacher every two minutes. Hard to believe that years later, my darling Haley 
You created your own fashion class for one at the same high school, and you put on a fashion show that left the school and the entire town speechless with the awesomeness of it all. Way to go, girl. I started the I started the school year out by living at the cottage. Then when the water got shut off for the season in early October, I boarded with an old lady who lived about a block away from the school. I think she let me stay with her under duress. Kenny's dad knew her, and I guess she agreed to let me stay as a favor to him. Good old Mrs. Wellwood. She was the widow of a furniture mogul. I don't know if it was Coombs Furniture Factory down by the harbor or Malcolm Furniture Factory. Coombs Furniture was high quality and, and well known. They made pieces for the Canadian Government House in England, as well as for the Canadian Parliament, and for the Queen Suite when she visited Charlottetown. The Andrew Malcolm Furniture Factory made excellent quality furniture also. It was sold to uh, Canadian hotels. And, you know, during World War II, the, here's just a little bit of history on the factories. During World War II, the factory employed about 300 people to build parts for the Mosquito Bomber, a very famous two-crew airplane that was uh, used in the war. Both factories burnt down in the 70s, I believe, under very suspicious circumstances. A few years later, someone built a row of townhouses on the land where the Malcolm factory stood, and they burnt down. Kind of makes you wonder if the land had a curse or something. They rebuilt the townhouses, but I'd never live there. Anyway, old Mrs. Wellwood was the wife of one of those furniture factory moguls. Her living room, or parlor as they called it in her day, was like a museum of furniture. She never allowed me to go in that room. In fact, I was forbidden to go in that room. I pretty much had to stay in my bedroom. That had no heat. I wasn't allowed to use the refrigerator either. I had to put my food in a small box on the floor under the cupboard in the kitchen. Actually, she let me keep one liter of milk in the, in the fridge for my cereal. I was only allowed to take a bath once a week. She said she had a niece in Africa or somewhere who never washed her hair. She just brushed and brushed and brushed it clean. By this time, your dad and I were starting to date. Nothing official. He used to come pick me up at old Wellwood's house. She was so nice to him. She offered him tea and cookies or sandwiches. She offered him to stay for dinner but never invited me. Had him sit down for a chat and always remembered his name. She never remembered my name. Always called me What's-Her-Name. What's-Her-Name? We'll be down in a minute, dear. Have another cookie. <laughs> It's okay. She was old, and I was only paying 10 bucks a week for my room. That arrangement lasted a few months, but I had some savings from the after-school house cleaning and babysitting jobs I did in Michigan, and, of course, some of the money I had amassed from the roller rink bouncer job. So your dad and I rented our own apartment in January 1974. I was 17, going on 18, and he was 19. It was the scandal of the town. I suddenly became worse than just an American. I was a brawless hussy corrupting a local farm boy. Bad, bad me. It's amazing how people can judge others without even knowing them or why they make the choices they make. Your dad and I actually rented about three-quarters of that house on Harbor Street. It was right across the road from what is now the Erie Bell Fish and Chip Restaurant. But back then it was an ice house. I don't know what they used the ice for in a frigid Canadian tundra, but that's what it was. We slept on an old mattress on the floor of the living room of our house, and, yeah, <laughs> and we had tinfoil for curtains. 
for the kitchen table, we used one of those those big wooden spools that holds wire cable wire. We probably obtained it from someone who obtained it illegally, but who knows? Maybe back then it wasn't illegal. Probably wasn't illegal. Things change in time. And someone gave us an ugly old maroon sofa that we used instead of kitchen chairs. It's amazing what we put up with when we're in love. And we were in love. We were so in love. And that is the story of how I met your dad. Next week, Allison Kiro is going to be joining me on the show. Allison is our professional clutter clearing expert. We're going to be talking about how to increase your self-esteem so you can make better decisions in your health and your relationships. You'll find out how your organizing skills are closely connected to the decisions you make. Allison has some great tips on how to organize your whole life. So join us again next week, and if you have missed any of my previous shows, you can find them on the archive page of my website, nancyatnoon.com. So until next time, keep it real, babe. Thanks for joining us again on Slightly Askew with Nancy at Noon. We've enjoyed your company and hope it's been fun for you, too. If you like what you're hearing, please share us with your friends and family because, well, they might like us, too. You can find us online at nancyatnoon.com. We've got fascinating blog posts, recipes, self-help books, weight loss CDs, coaching programs, art, jewelry, and all kinds of other cool stuff. Go ahead and check us out. nancyatnoon.com. You'll be glad you did.
Thank you. 